0: Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. We'll take about 20 minutes, just a little over. I'll try to make sure it's under 25 minutes. Uh, So we'll just go to a little bit after half past. We're looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. We're working through Mark's Gospel. And the the title of this sermon is this. Oh, and did did that you should be up on the screen? The title of the sermon is Christianity is free but it will cost you everything. So Christianity is about receiving a free gift that completely, 180 degrees, changes your life. So a number of years ago, what happened was uh, a man from Limerick went up to the plowing championships. And he came back and he said hundreds of people have been saved, have come into a living relationship with God. And that got a few of us thinking... What was he saying to them? Were they really saved? You know, did they really come into a living relationship with God? You see, if I was to go up to you and say, would you like to know Jesus? Put up your hand. Who's not going to put up their hand? If I say to you, would you like your sins forgiven? Sign this form. Or if you'd like to go to heaven, say this prayer. That's good. But, but does that result in someone being born again, having the life of God within them in a life transforming way. You see, one of the things that I see when I see Mark's gospel and Jesus as an evangelist is he's quite an unusual evangelist because what he does is he tells people to count the cost. If you're going to come after me, have you have you? thought about what it's going to involve? Have you thought about the way it's going to change your life? And this is a classic passage on counting the cost for being a follower of Jesus. Yes, the gift is free, but if you're to receive it, it is going to turn your life 180 degrees. It's going to change everything. And what I want you to think about and what I want to try to persuade you this morning is that it is worth it. It is worth putting out your hands and receiving this gift. It is worth it. It's worth more than any of the passions that you may have. It's may worth more than any of the possessions you may want. It is worth more even, and I'm a people pleaser, even more than your popularity. Jesus is worth it. So the first one, your passions. Look at verse 34. It says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself or themselves and take up their cross. Apparently in the original language, it's literally, if anyone desires to come after me if anyone would delight to come after me, if anyone wishes to come after me. In other words, you have to desire following Jesus more than you desire anything else because he is going to command you to deny certain things and put certain things to death. He's saying coming after me involves putting me number one. But is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, I, I, my mind was, when I read this, drawn to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, this is what we say or read. The Apostle Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and pleasures. And he talks in that same chapter of the, the dynamic within us with the, what's called the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. And the sinful nature wants certain things. But I have to tell you, they're ugly things. They're ugly things that we see in all of us. A desire to have what other people have. Fits of rage, it will tell us in verse 17 to 21 of Galatians chapter 5. Envy, a desire for cheapened sex, jealousy. Are those things going to bless your life? And Jesus comes in and says, but part of following me is leaning in on the person of the Holy Spirit so that you deny those things. Is it worth it? Well, well, look what you get in return. Because as we lean in on the person of the Holy Spirit and ask him to give us new desires, what new desires do we find? Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. I've written them down here and I see that I've written eight down and I'm missing one. So, those of you who have good Bible knowledge, you know that there are nine fruit of the Spirit. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. I think that's only eight. What have I missed? Goodness? Did I say that twice? Long suffering? Very good. Patience, yes. Very good. Now tell me this which is going to bless you more? To live for the sinful nature? Where your life is consumed by bitterness. And it's all a struggle for us. Or to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Which makes us look like who? Makes us look like Jesus. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. Look to yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ And you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Is he worth it? You tell me. Is he worth more than your possessions? I was reading Tim Keller, the New York um, Presbyterian preacher on this. And he said this, he says, in every culture... There are things where people say to you, if you gain this, if you have this, if you achieve this, then you have a sense of self. And he points out that the word here for life is is a word from which we get our sense of self. So in a traditional culture, that self is very much based in community. If you have a, a family and children, and those children succeed, you have a sense of self. But what happens when things go wrong? In an individualistic culture, that sense of self is built on your career, your income, your possessions. And what happens when they all fall apart? You see, if you build yourself of self, your life around the things of this world, it's always going to be very precarious. What happens if you build yourself and self on being loved by other people and the person you love says, I no longer love you? Everything disappears. Are are your possessions, I (laughs) I was thinking about this idea, you know, retail therapy, and I thought, you know, I've never gone to the doctor, and, and I've gone to, uh, for therapy. I went for cognitive behavior therapy. But I've never seen a, you know, a counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist say, well, well you could take cognitive behavior therapy or counseling or maybe a bit of retail therapy because it's not proper therapy. But why? Because it doesn't do any good to your heart. How often we've been disappointed with the next purchase, and I love the next purchase as much as anybody else. But they don't deliver. And Jesus warns remember, you can serve one of two masters money, living for stuff to build your own reputation, or you live for Him. You get from Him. So your possessions are in some ways. He wants you to do a profit and loss. Look at verse 36. What does a profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Put everything in that the world can offer you on one side of a profit and loss account, and add Jesus on the other side, and you will see that Jesus is infinitely worth. More and your soul, which he wants to change, your life is worth a whole lot more, infinite value more. And I think that all of us who love Jesus, we started the Christian life, did we not? Saying, Jesus is enough for me. The Holy Spirit showed us his beauty, and we said, He is enough for me. I am satisfied in him alone. But the problem is that as time goes by, those old ways slip back. And discontentment slips in. And we think, Jesus, but the next purchase, that's enough for me. Jesus, and the next achievement, that's enough for me. And Jesus says, no, I am enough for you. I'm the giver of life. And finally, popularity. We have seen that stuff, it doesn't satisfy, but people are fickle. And you see this in this passage. He says in verse 38 about an adulterous and sinful generation. What is he talking about? Well, adultery is an act of ultimate disloyalty. And he's saying that people are disloyal. I, I've seen it, uh, even you go back to your days in school, the friends who let you down, the crowd that turns against you, people are disloyal and self sinful, they're selfish, and, and I love what happens in chapter 10, in just a few weeks time, we're going to look at Peter, and Peter goes to Jesus, and he says, but I've left so many people for you, you know, we have left people for you, and what does Jesus say, look at all the people I've given you. You now have new brothers and sisters and mothers. And it's a reminder to me that this is a part of God's blessing to us. Psalm 16, your people are my delight. And he has given us new family. We're it. It's, you know, and Maybe you don't come to church thinking this is a great blessing to me. And the truth of the matter is even Christians will let you down. Uh, many people have, have been hurt by other Christians. Because we still struggle with selfishness and sin. But look at the context of this passage. What has Jesus just spoken about before he told us to pick up our cross? He talks about the fact that he picked up a cross. That he will pick up a cross and deny himself. And give his life. And I was reading one person who pointed out that the cross is not just something that happens for us. We know that the cross is something that happens for us. Our guilt is taken away in the cross. That's something that Jesus did for us. But the cross is also something that happens to us. Because when we look at that cross... Surely God is persuading us that he loves us like nobody else. And so you ask yourself on this, is it worth it? Is it worth following Jesus when sometimes, as he hints here, even my family will make me feel ashamed for being one of his followers? Is he worth it? And the answer, of course, is yes. And I know that that comes with a certain degree of struggle Because it is hard at times to love someone we don't see face to face as we will when he returns. But it is real. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that's why I think the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. You know that prayer? I pray that God through his Holy Spirit would strengthen you. That you would see the height and depth and width and length of the love that God has for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think that's one of the most important prayers that we pray for each other and for ourselves, because nothing will transform us more than seeing the love of God for us. So let's finish. I told you at the beginning about that man who went to the plowing championship, came back claiming thousands, not thousands, hundreds of people have become Christians. I don't know. What I want to know is, had he explained the cost of becoming a Christian? Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and turns us upside down, it's more than just putting a hand up or playing a prayer. It's more than something that will happen temporarily. Real life that God gives changes us so that we see the beauty of Jesus and we know that he's worth it. And can I just finish by, I've been reading this great book by Martin Lloyd-Jones recently, the, The Welsh Preacher on the Holy Spirit. And uh, yesterday I was reading it and the sermon was finished, but I, I wanted to add this bit in to land. He talked about grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. He says grieving the Holy Spirit is, a, is really when the Holy Spirit challenges us to do something and we ignore him. We grieve him. I, I, I think about times where, you know, I've felt the urge by the Holy Spirit to pray And what did I do? I ended up picking up my phone, turning on the television. And that's grieving the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prompts us in many ways in our lives. And we don't want to grieve him. And he suggested that quenching the Holy Spirit, it really was a little bit more about the community of faith. When God's at work in someone's life in the community. When people get vision. When a man comes and tells us about missionary work, and we respond, not with encouragement, but discouragement. That's called quenching the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always, always call us out of comfort. The Holy Spirit will never say, be comfortable, don't be generous, don't take risks. I, in fact, you, you, you know in some ways that the Holy Spirit is calling when it is uncomfortable, it, it is challenged. It does feel like denying yourself. And and I think this is particularly for those of us in leadership roles in the church and the members meeting and so on, when God is challenging some people within the community with ideas that involve risk, ideas that involve challenge, ideas that involve compassion to people, we need to be very careful not to quench what the Holy Spirit is doing. And and we need to be very careful that we have, as Johnny Reed said in The Weekend Away, an inbuilt tendency towards comfort. And we need to challenge that because the Holy Spirit will challenge that within us. And so Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He asks us to count the cost, but he is infinitely worth it. Let's pray.